Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove of The Answers That Count. Thank you for joining us. We have another just, I'm going to tell you, this is going to be an awesome show. We're going to speak to Dan Murdoch with Harry, and we have a lot of good conversation about the minimum wage, about technology for restaurants. That's going to be a just a great topic that Dan is extremely, extremely experienced with, and he's going to provide I would say, a ton of nuggets of knowledge for us. So you want to make sure that you stick around for the show. Hit the subscribe button, please, because you're going to want to be notified when we drop future shows about this topic and other business-related topics. So let's get started with the show. And we want to give a special thanks to Heartland Payment Systems. They are the sponsors of this series that we're doing with the Florida Restaurant Lodging Association. The FRLA is one of our special partners that we're doing this, this podcast series. So we've got other podcasts that we've already done, and we've got some in the future that we're doing also related to the minimum wage issue as it's increasing to $15 in the state of Florida. And we're seeing that increase across across the United States. So Heartland, thank you. This podcast is brought to you by a longtime partner of the Florida Restaurant Lodging Association, Heartland Payment System, who is a trusted payments, payroll, and HR provider of the association. Heartland provides top-in-class solutions to help you grow your business. Please visit frla.org heartland to find out more. Thank you, Heartland. We appreciate this. And before we get started, I want to read a, a disclaimer that uh, related to the FRLA. This information provided here is for educational purposes, and FRLA does not warrant or endorse any particular provider. FRLA is prohibitive from providing a specific legal, financial, or accounting advice and the information represented here is not intended as such. FRLA encourages businesses to consult qualified, competent advisors in these fields to explore their specific situation. All right, Dan, we've got all of the all of the administrative stuff out of the way. You know, you got to cover that. We appreciate Heartland. This is a, a series that we're doing, and I know you've been in touch with me on on previous calls. This is the first time we've had the opportunity to do a podcast, but I want to give a special thanks to Florida Restaurant Lodging Association. They are they are really putting this series together in partnership with them. We're trying to get the word out to the members of the FRLA and other other restaurants across the United States on really consider this. Consider these things that we're going to bring the attention to on what they should how they should manage the change related to minimum wage because costs are going up. It's a given. We know that minimum wage is going up. Heck, we're seeing the the costs go up in other areas of our P&L right now also. So it's a big deal, and people like you can really help the restaurant owner prepare for and manage the changes they need to not let their profits erode. I mean, the last thing you want to see is profits erode off of the P&Ls that those owners are giving back, because once profits start to erode, it, it, erode, it could be a short time before they're out of business. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And Charles, thank you so much for having me. And special shout out to the FRLA for, for hosting all of this. I couldn't agree more with anything you just said about them and as a, a proud organization of helping restaurants find answers. Good deal. Right? So, and it's it's all tremendous. It is. Dan, you are with Harry. And tell us your role with Harry and what Harry has meant for the industry. Because as I've learned more about you and what you've done with Harry is just tremendous. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to what we're going to bring today on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a VP of marketing here at Harry. I've been here for three years. It's been a tremendous journey helping restaurants of any scale and scope to help drive their business through their people. 
We're an employee experience platform, very technically a human resource management system that allows you to build, manage, and develop your teams from a single platform. And so that's everything from hiring technology to workforce management technology to learning to training up and down the entire employee experience. And we're inspired by everything to do with what I'm going to call the renaissance of restaurants in the wake of COVID-19. And we are of the belief that technology is an absolute facilitator and catalyst to making that a reality. And of course, as Charles, you alluded to earlier, it's never been harder to run a restaurant. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. That's one of the most difficult businesses across the United States or anywhere is to run a restaurant. I mean, you got so many variables to deal with. And one of the things I love about uh, what Harry does and what's so on point is when you talked about the technology, the technology is related, is around the human intervention, the employees. How do you make that interaction the best? How do you make it the most efficient? You need technology to do that, to really maximize the efficiency and the interaction, how 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 the employer interacts with the potential new hire that they're going to have all the way through the employment, the, the employment lifeline. So thank exactly. you so much for bringing that. And, and in honor of Harry, I wore the Harry blue today. So um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to see the, the Harry blue color uh, throughout our podcast. So. Dan, Harry did a, a survey recently, and they surveyed 8,000 restaurant owners. So that was um, 8,000 restaurants and 185,000 employees across the U.S. So that was a pretty large survey, they, survey that they did. And a lot of the findings that they had in this survey, people are going to look at it and say, well, yeah, that, that's what I expect. But it really, I think, validates the focus on people technology and the fear of what's going to happen with this $15 per hour minimum wage across the U.S. Exactly. It's a conversation starter, right? Let's level set on the realities of what wage inflation does to a restaurant business, whether it's one location or a thousand, right? The compounding effect ultimately of an incremental or geometric raise in minimum wage has a trickle down effect to the P&L. And it's, we have to find ways, we have to play gymnastics economically within the business to figure out what levers we're going to pull in order to counteract it. And what we've found, of course, of the history of studying this for the last three years is that there's pretty much two audiences of which you can lean upon in order to try to counteract this wage inflation. And that's either in the context or in the experience of the guest or of that of the employee. And as we found through the results, you know, we're either going to raise menu prices, we're going to cut jobs, we're going to cut hours, we're going to try to do more with less. Right. And the reality is, as we've come to find, we've hit a tipping point. We've hit a tipping point with respect to who we are going to alienate, if you will, in the pursuit of trying to maintain margins and profitability. Yeah, such a balance. It's you so, can't do so, it. No, it's tough. Can't. Let's let's go through some of those. Uh, John, let's click through some of those. So 82% of operators are in opposition. Well, that, that's kind of a no-duh. You you don't want to have cost increase, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and the overwhelming majority, of course, are in favor or in the opposition of increasing minimum wage for $15 an hour. I don't think any of us philosophically right? Or in a position to say like, we're against somebody making $32,000 a year. Right. Right. 
but it's not about that. Exactly. It's about the velocity of which these changes are coming. Right. And the expectation that this industry can respond in a way that isn't detrimental to the economics of the business. Right. So I've got a, a good friend that's on the podcast often. He's a economics professor at FSU, and and we've talked about how government intervention has has unintended consequences. So. This is another another form of government intervention where they're mandating the market pay certain prices. So whether whether the market says, yeah, that's the right price to pay somebody, the government has intervened and said, you must pay them this. So there's going to be yeah. a, there's going to be consequences to that. And the, and there is a societal piece to this as well, right? The march for fifteen dollars of minimum wage that's been an ongoing effort. An association and lobbyist group for the last five years or so, it has gained all this momentum. And of course, from a philosophical human humanitarian perspective, no one is against this. Right. But to yeah. your point, it's it's the rate at which it comes, and the ultimate consideration or concessions that are made for businesses that are so intimately involved or leverage this kind of labor and how it factors into the economics, the, the integrity of the economics of that business. And right. that is always a missing piece. In yeah, this and, you're, and you're going to hit on this later um, as we talk about this. But right now we're seeing labor shortage across the United States. It's not just a Florida thing, but we're seeing this from Miami to Seattle, Washington, where restaurant owners and other industries as well, they, they can't hire enough people to, to conduct business. I mean, it, it they're in a pinch, and so they're already increasing wages to attract people and to be a differentiator of their, their competition across the street. Yeah, and, and Charles, you and I were connecting earlier about, you know, an example of, you know, an operator that's giving out bounties for people showing up for interviews, right? Yeah. And that's made national news. Right. Um, and, and we actually did a study on this as well. Of course, we, we try to find any opportunity possible to develop research that is helpful and useful to this industry and to leaders to make informed decisions. You know, it's a labor crisis at its whole, at, right. at its core. Right. And it's a result of, of course, hospitality having a branding issue at this moment in time as a stable industry of which I can build a career within. Right. There is, of course, still considerations around health and safety that people take into consideration. We also found that 30% of hospitality workers are unwilling to get vaccinated at this moment in time. Mm. And that's if that's true. a consideration or a requirement of employment, that's a problem. Right. Moreover, the displacement of that labor into surging industries such as essential retail, convenience, Amazon warehousing, the gig economy, those all have permanently displaced many of the workers that were once employed by the hospitality industry. All yeah. that has compounded itself and resulted in a massive shortage. Yeah, very good point. And we've seen that uh, in, in folks that we've talked to across the United States, out in California and, and Seattle. And that, that's their conclusion as well, is that People during COVID, a lot of the workers in the restaurant industry left the industry for something else, and they're not coming back. So, precisely whether they're at Amazon or whatever is in the gig economy, they're just they've left that restaurant industry. So let's let's go through a couple of others. Eighty nine percent said an increase of that magnitude would just. I mean, okay, that sure. Let's. <laughs> Yeah, it's continuity between that and the first point. We can definitely jump to the next one, right. which I believe gets into, you know, legislation that is also <laughs> 
if if the increase in minimum wage wasn't enough, let's also pull tip credit right. dynamics away from you, which is such a heavy consideration with respect to backing into minimum wage for a lot of full service concepts. Right. And so, um, and that, by the way, we've also done research on what is the perspective of employees with respect to the removal of tip credit, and they're not in favor of it either because they're of the belief that they will earn more money if given the opportunity for the variability of tips. Yeah, I love so, that. I love that. It's because, crazy. Yeah, that is, uh, and and we've talked about that before too, where incentives matter. So if if that, if you're good, hardworking, customer-driven wait staff, if they have the opportunity to earn more money, they want to be in that environment because they know they can deliver, they can get paid more than what somebody says, here's all you're going to get paid is $15 an hour. Precisely. Yeah, exactly. Right. 74% believe that eliminating tip credit, okay, yep, it will affect them. Increase menu prices, and we're seeing that. I mean, there's there's going to be all things on the P&L are going to be affected, including increases in the menu prices. Yep. And as we were talking about earlier, of course, the supply chain is getting impacted as well. The price of corn has nearly doubled. And the last time that that happened, it actually um, impacted the price of beef in a similar manner. So everything to do with increasing menu prices is, of course, usually or most commonly the most obvious lever to pull right. in, in the pursuit of counteracting wage inflation. But the question is, Charles, how much elasticity is in that pricing? Exactly. We, we see quick service and fast casual moving away from value now. And we'll see how long that lasts, particularly as reopenings and more choice become readily available in the wake of COVID-19. It's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, those, uh, a lot of the people we talk to, they're, they're, they're encouraging and we're talking to people that have already gone through an implementation of the $15 an hour, the people in California and Washington that have already lived through this. They're saying you have to plan, you have to have multiple options when you start managing these changes in your operations. You can't just think that one, one solution is going to be it and it's going to work and last forever, that you're going to have to be able to, to monitor the changes, the effect of those changes, and be ready to adjust to other changes. Menu prices is not going to be the only answer. I mean, that's kind of the easy go-to. We're going to increase prices, but you're going to have to do other things as well throughout your operations. Yeah, and a comprehensive understanding into labor, sales, all of the, all of the inputs right, that factor into the P&L have to be understood not only at a high level, but at a granular one right. to understand where you can hopefully maybe create a blend Oh yeah, of, it is of strategy. So the the reduce employee hours. So if you're going to reduce employee hours, we're looking at the introduction of additional technology to allow those employees that remain to be more efficient. Or I guess the one of the most dramatic things if you go from a full service to a quick service or counter service. So you know I don't know if there's uh, if if people will jump off of that change immediately or if that's a gradual change. But this survey tells us that people will do have the intent to reduce employee hours. 69% said that that would be a reality. Yep. That and cutting jobs, right? Yeah. Eliminating <laughs> jobs, question. 62%. There you go. The problem with both of those decisions is that you're going to experience turnover as a result. Right. And as we were just alluding to earlier in this conversation, 
the ability to find people right now in the hopes of backfilling those individuals if you need to, because flexibility is required, of course, and scheduling satisfaction is everything right. to these, these kinds of employees. How are, you gonna, how are you going to eliminate jobs and hours without a intimate understanding of the impact of what hours to eliminate or what jobs to eliminate? And technology, of course, is a, um, is a path to better understanding the composition of how labor is performing in contrast with sales and building patterns and looking at historicals and what have you. But to just knee-jerk you know, make a knee-jerk response and just, well, I'm just going to cut jobs, cut hours, and raise menu prices. That is a combination or a formula for not no success, both for the, the service delivery experience and for the experience of your employees. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's I think that's one of the, the pushes we're trying to emphasize in every one of these podcasts is to have plans, plan early, and don't just rely on those those factors that you said, you know, increase menu prices, reduce hours, eliminate jobs. That's not going to be the, the, the right answer because you're going to need to have a combination of changes that you, that you manage throughout that business. Let's go to the, the next one, John. Close additional locations. So you have a lower percentage that, that's looking at closing locations. But, you know, when you have those outlier um, locations that are not as profitable, I think that's, that's going to be reality that you're going to have some close. Yeah, and it's been a survival of the fittest dynamic, right, right. for the last 13 months, um, both course of the business, but also I think when, you know, we work very closely with enterprise brands that have national footprints, um, you know, it's been a really challenging time to, you know, decide which locations to keep operational and at what capacities and ultimately for the longer term. And if there's richer opportunities now in the wake of, unfortunately, hundreds of thousands of SMB um, operators and, uh, and businesses going out of businesses. There are now optimal scenarios from a real estate perspective to open up locations in, in more opportunistic areas. Right. So that is, it's an unfortunate, again, an unfortunate cause of, of this. And, and hopefully if you are in a position, as you were mentioning before, Charles, to plan ahead, to think proactively and thoughtfully and intensively around the combination of actions that you can take, you might be able to avoid this dynamic. Right. John, is that, do we have other slides there? New technology. Let's talk about that. Let's go through the, uh, what, what else do we have, John, on those slides? Ancillary positions. Okay. Click through the next one. Commissary. Okay. So those are, those are other, um, survey results. I think a lot of those are, are, you would expect those results. So let's talk about, let's click that off, John, and go to full screen. Let's talk about the, the importance. I know, I know we have the work shortage people. There's not enough people in the workforce right now to satisfy all the positions. So it really emphasizes that employer employee interaction from the moment they come into contact with the employer. So what is what's what is what are the technology solutions to make that a better experience? Yeah, I of course we're in, in the business of transforming the employee experience through the lens of technology. And to draw the the most common analogy or understandable analogy now, everything to do with the way that restaurants responded 
to COVID-19 was in a way to completely transform digitally the experience of the consumer, right? Everything to do with integrating across delivery, thinking about multi-channel um, engagement, loyalty, native application management, uh, the ability to have greater control right. right, over the experience of the consumer. We are trying to do the same exact thing now in the context of the employee, right? Which is arguably equal to or greater than the relationship that you have with your customers because your business is translated through your people. True. And so, you know, we, we have to think collectively as an industry to do better by our people because they deserve it. Right. Right. And if we believe that guests are an extremely important audience to the integrity of our business, then employees have to undergo the same level of investment and time and energy and technology to improve their experience to drive better business outcomes. And Charles, to your point, it starts from the very beginning of the first interaction. First impressions are everything, right? The first interaction of which a prospective employee has with you and a job posting. Right. What does that job posting look like? What is the experience from the point of which they click to apply? How long is it taking for somebody to reach out to them to learn more about their interest in applying for that position? What are the screening questions? What is it then as a next step for them to get an interview? How are they being communicated with between that acceptance of their application to the point of which they have a scheduled interview, whether it's virtual or physical? And everything in between that, right? How are we analyzing all of those interactions in a way that best positions us to optimize, in this case, the candidate experience to increase our likelihood to retain that individual through the course of that process and hire them successfully? That is just one example of an experience that you need to nail now. It's not a nice to have. Right. It is a must have because the fight for talent is real. Right. And the only way that you will successfully get to a point, because you're not going to be able to sit there and wait for the application to come and respond and call and text. It's not realistic. There are 5,000 other things that you've got to worry about and your general manager's got to worry about in a day-to-day basis. So technology has to be the means for which you're building that experience and can augment some of the manual intervention that you'd otherwise be responsible for to make that experience great. So there's the not even okay or good. Yeah, it's got to be great. So the technology is there now so that if you have an applicant respond to a job posting, that they get a response within an hours rather than days and minutes, 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 Charles, minutes, because we actually just launched a new platform, um, which is we're terming as Carry. It's called Carry Chat and Apply, and it's a conversational AI chatbot that enables you to queue Carry in a, in a scenario where somebody applies to the job and Carry can reach out via SMS, Facebook Messenger, a whole host of channels as required or as expressed through the actual application experience by that candidate to begin the initial conversation around getting scheduled for an interview or do further screening in right at that moment, right? The problem is, Charles, to your point, I applied to a job through Indeed 
And what happens next? Goes into a black hole. It goes into a black hole. Right. Right. And so we're, 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 we're in a mission to transform that experience that best positions you as an employer to get that quality candidate in your doors and working. I think that is, that's such a, that's a key technology that's available now. And I don't, I, I can't recall a time period that it's been more important to capture quality candidates within minutes of them responding to a job posting. Yeah. It's, and it, and this is the, these are the times. Yeah. Right. So what that's also the expectation. What, so if, if that is a key element to technology that's available now, what other key technologies should people be using now or that are available now that'll help them become a more efficient, be attract better candidates and retain them longer as employees? Yes. Great question. Let's double click on retention and satisfaction, right? It, ha- it obviously starts from the point of which they apply the job and you hopefully get them through that process as efficiently and as quickly as possible. And now they're hired, but guess what? The journey's only begun, right? The challenge has only begun with respect to making that hire successful. Right. We term a, a hire successful from the point of which they stay on the job more than 90 days, 90 days, right? More than 90 days. And so what is it that we are doing, right, from a technological perspective to equip you with everything that you would ever need to help drive the satisfaction of that employee? Well, first and foremost, that employee is not not having to now bounce between four or five different technologies to get my onboarding materials and to get onboarded properly with all the other documentation that I need. I'm not needing to jump in and out of all these different texts in order to just show up on the first day prepared and ready to go. Is Secondly, that, is that self, is that technology yeah. self-directed so that the, the employee is driving that conversation and, and driving, providing that data? Yeah, both. Right. And, and the continuity between having all of your pre-hire technology with Harry, right. And your post-hire technology with Harry is that it's a, it's one click to move them into the other side of the workforce management platform. Right. Good. Right. So boom, I've hired you. Now I've onboarded you, right, successfully into what's gonna what's the technology you're gonna most commonly interact with to come to work, right, successfully and to right. be onboarded. Your right. schedule, right? right. So now I've got my schedule not only in front of me from a desktop perspective, but I have it on my mobile app, phone. Right, I can access it on a web-based application or a native application, right? And I'm being communicated with on a multi-channel basis, whether it be through text or email or through push notifications or what have you, in understand or through carry, right, for that matter, around when am I working and how do I have visibility to that and who can I speak with and be working with directly to ensure that I am where I need to be on day one. And that is what we're equipping operators with. And we've had tons of success with massive brands and and regional players and, of course, local players over the course of our history. But the idea being that, like, once you have all this consolidated into a single place, you've got your employees in a system of which they're satisfied and engaged, you're now able to draw so much data in informing how do I drive the most efficient, my most efficient labor model through my scheduling platform 
and through communications and other forms of sentiment gathering, because we also have a time and attendance platform, right, for which people are actually clocking in and, you know, we're asking them, you know, how is your shift and, you know, rate it from one to 10. Well, why is that happening? If you're not satisfied, like why, why would your shifts not to your expectations? Like all these things are built in a way to give you greater amounts of insight, not only to the sentiment and the overall satisfaction of your employee base, but also, you know, how do I ensure that I have this shift properly staffed? Right. So it's right? A, so to drive really, the optimal sales. So you really have, you set the employee up to have the best experience. So they're not jumping from multiple applications or tools. So it's all in one, one application. So you really streamline their interface with the tools and technology that they should be using. Plus it equips the business owner, the management with the best tools to have the position staffed to have the maximum amount of sales. Yeah. And, and we're delivering the managers, right. Who are ultimately needing to make those decisions proactively, right? Whether it be on a weekly, bi-weekly basis, monthly basis depends on how they're forecasting and what their procedures are, but equipping them with all the information necessary to allow them to make data-driven decisions around staffing, right? to drive as much efficiency as humanly possible through the process of building a schedule, the flexibility to be able to handle shift swaps and changes and other forms of requests that of course naturally occur over the course of a, of a week or a day for that matter, and be able to check the performance of sales and labor intradaily through a native mobile application and make decisions. Right. All the while being compliantly managed and monitored, right? off the back of, because we, we obviously help operators in some of the most litigious parts of our country, whether it be California or be New York City or Chicago and Philadelphia now from a predictive scheduling perspective. We, we've thought through every nuance, right? And because we're focused on the use case of a restaurant, both at a, you know, we'll call it a, a five unit level to a thousand unit level, we we've seen everything that we need to to go build successfully the technology that'll equip and empower these businesses to gain scope control over their people and not have to worry about the things that often are laborious and administrative right to general managers on a day-to-day basis right. and focus on driving the it business takes, forward right it takes care of the mundane and allows the decision makers to focus on what's critical to run that business and be successful uh, what what do you see before we jump off of the employee part of this, the technology tools? Are there other things that you see coming in the future that's going to even make the employee experience better and improve the retention of the high quality employees? Yeah, I think uh, instant gratification and the expectation around that is going to become imperative to operators. So what I mean by that is and we were speaking about a little bit earlier, when I apply for a job, I expect somebody or something to reach out to me in minutes, Mm -hmm. not hours, not days. The same sort of consumer level experience will be expected of that in the scheduling environment, in the learning environment, in every aspect of my interaction with that employee, as well as having a direct understanding of culture, process, procedures, anything and everything, right? And when I'm getting paid and how I'm getting paid, all, all of those things. Right. And 
the the most um, important aspect to employee retention is scheduling satisfaction. Really? Aside from managerial satisfaction, so that comes in a close second, yeah. right? But typically, they don't. They're dissatisfied with their manager because they're not getting the schedule they want. Interesting. I want to jump to um, one other point on the on the employee side. Do you also see the employers enriching the compensation package for the employees to increase retention? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the leading edge of those who have the economic means to do it, right? You look at Chipotle, that's paying for people's education, right. Chick-fil-A and all these other, you know, I, I define them as people first businesses. That's the mantra that they've taken as a principle, as an operating principle of their business. They put their people first, they invest in the technology, they partner with the right organizations, they're doing the things and Starbucks, of course, is included in this equation as well. They're doing the things that allow them to have a point of differentiation and competitive advantage to attracting what they determine to be the right type of talent that believe in those kinds of things. And by the way, diversity and inclusion are going to be really important moving forward, right? With everything that we've learned over the last 12 months right. and everything that's happened from a societal perspective, like th those are all things that visibility is going to matter. Right. And how you compare yourself to a Chipotle or to a, a national potentially publicly traded brand is different than that of a regional or localized operator, of course. Right. But it's about that visibility and it's about the fact that, you know, if I want to work at a particular restaurant, it's because like, well, wow, I get my schedule like two weeks in advance, like clockwork. I know exactly when I'm working. I have a great relationship with my manager. He's, he or she is super communicative with me about how I'm performing. I know I have the flexibility to take time off if I need to, but it's all facilitated through the tech. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, Not managed. A, on it's definitely a seller's pages. market. If you look at the employees as selling their time, then, then uh, the employers have to cater to that and make it a good experience for them. So let's, I, I know we touched on the, the customer experience really was, was, number one priority during COVID and that the operators change how they function. They change their delivery method to meet the, the demands of what the times required and what the customers needed to keep business coming. So any anything you see coming in the future as far as changes, technology changes for the customer experience? Yeah, technology changes for the customer experience, I think, will continue to set the standard for what the employee experience will then look like, right? Imagine the disconnect of somebody who wants to buy from you as a consumer, and then they go to apply for a job and it feels like they're in a process that is circa 1996, right? Like there's just, it's such a disconnect right. um, between the continuity of your brand and it's equally important to that of, of the consumer side. I think, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of M&A activity, of course. We're going to continue to see um, interesting trends, I think, with respect to how the interaction with consumers and the personalization of how they're being interacted with from an incentivization perspective will be really interesting to see. Right now, all these brands have access to your data as a consumer, direct access, not through a third party like Seamless or through Uber Eats as disproportionate as it was pre-COVID, 
if you have invested in the technology to have a proprietary application or means of which people can order from you or loyalty, right? You can now incentivize on a personalized basis based off the behaviors of that consumer in a way that you never did before, right? Right. You can now measure it like somebody hasn't been to the restaurant in two weeks, throw them a 10% code, yeah. right? Or throw them a free item to get them back into the business. That level of intelligence is, is what is going to ultimately evolve. And then think about that in the context of the employee experience, right? Like, the ability to be able to predictively, you know, uh, initiate some form of interaction with an employee based off certain criteria hmm. of like, let's say they show up late for two days in a row. Hmm, that's interesting. That's a behavior that I want to have visibility into. And maybe it's a precursor to something, right. a, a larger point of dissatisfaction. Right. Let me interact with that employee and find out what's going on. And you may be, oh. may be able to save them from, from leaving. Bingo. Yeah. I love it. So, that, that is so interesting. And the, the, what are you seeing in, from the customer experience? I, I've, I've talked to other operators about this, you know, during COVID there was the takeout business really prop businesses up and, and allowed them to, to stay in business. So of that takeout business, how much of that do, have you seen stick as far as a percentage? So we know that the restaurants have opened back up. So they're, their revenues have increased by in-store dining. How much of the the takeaway, the carryout, has remained with the restaurants? Is it a high percentage? I think it's. I think it's still going to be a high percentage. I think the flexibility of, however you want, the confidence around the flexibility of what you interact with the restaurant is now there, right? Like I can go and I can dine in, or I know that I've been on a rush and I got a family of five and I just need to pick up something that's semi-healthy and, and will work for me and my, and my schedule, I can go do that. Right. Right. And I think it's just confidence It's consumer confidence around the ease of which I can interact with a brand and like the incentivization now around buying more frequently. Right. Like, Oh, I'm going to get rewarded for this behavior. Right. Which didn't happen before. Right. right. So there's all this motivation around purchasing through the digital avenues. Right. Right. Um, as opposed to dining in, although now you're seeing through the power of QR codes, the ability to actually scan your loyalty from when you dine in with some of these full service concepts. So I don't think it will obviously level out. Right. Right. It was disproportionate. Right. In COVID. It will begin to level out, but it won't be this, I think, dramatic shift necessarily of being like, well, it was 80% delivery, 20, 20% everything else, and now it's flipped. Right. I don't think that's going to happen right. whatsoever. At yeah. least that's not what I'm hearing. Yeah, so interesting, and it's even how, how we dine out as well. I mean, we before, you rarely did, did, did takeout or delivery. You did all in-store now it's now the even how we do it personally has changed. We we're much more apt to do takeout rather than dine in, and probably exactly. the, and then probably the frequency sorry. has increased as well. Right, because you that was what I was we're we're saying we're thinking on the same wavelength. I'm not like I'm not in the position to cook dinner. Oh, I think about the friction of like all right, we got to get everybody in the car, we got to get to the restaurant, like in order to actually experience that. No, 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 that that the ease of now the interaction has created a, a higher degree of probability of you eating out. Right. 
So therefore it feels like a, a smarter option for you at that moment in time. Right. And so I think it's, I think that wallet share is there to stay. The rhetoric right now is around, well, now that the economy in theory is beginning to rebalance, does value chains or do value chains now suffer from the increased competition and whether or not people are going to choose to eat at Domino's versus maybe a local pizzeria. Right. So that is, that's what I'm, I'm hearing at this moment in time, but that, that'll all play out to, to however it will. Yeah, I think the out. restaurant revitalization fund is going to be a, a huge, uh, enabler to yeah. getting some of those businesses back. Yeah, it certainly will. But the final the final topic I want to touch on and, and uh not to leave us on a on a gloomy note, but we see states California, Washington, we see New York, they're kind of the the predecessor to what happens in the rest of the country. And unfortunately we've seen the wage increases happen in California and Washington much before the rest of the country. Now Florida's what California and Washington and New York, they've already gone through this. I mean, they've already seen the, the bump up in the wages. What other uh, legislative issues do you see that, that's happening in other states that the rest of the U.S. may encounter, may have to battle in the near future? Yeah, the, uh, the unfortunate nature is that the momentum around legislation that will protect the interests, the economic interests of minimum wage workers is only going to increase. So that falls within the categories of federal minimum wage and scheduling protection legislation. It's better termed or more commonly known as fair work week legislation or predictive legislation, predictive scheduling. Even as recently as this week, Chipotle, unfortunately, is facing a potential sum of restitutions and penalties and back pay in the range of $400 million because of miscompliance in Fair Work Week legislation just in New York. In New York. Wow, that's incredible. $400 million, So it's a, it's a crazy amount of money yeah. with respect to how much they are not how, how mismanaged potentially that process has been. And we have a very deep understanding of everything to do with fair work legislation because we're of the belief that in order to drive an amazing employee experience, you have to be able to accommodate to all the nuances of the, requir the localized requirements of fair work legislation that is extremely, extremely challenging to manage in any other manner but a technological one because there are almost an infinite amount of scenarios of which you become um, liable right. to a violation in, in predictive scheduling. So the, the moral of the story, getting back to the point, there is all this momentum and this priority from this administration around any kind of legislation that protects the interests and rights economically of this class of workers. And so it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And the sooner you find yourself in a position to educate yourself on how these things have impacted these markets, how other operators have responded, the better. Right. Because it's going to come. And, you know, it's, again, I don't think any of us philosophically are, are misaligned with the idea of, 
you know, somebody being able to understand how much they're going to get paid two weeks from now so they can figure out how they're going to pay their bills. But how can I as an operator successfully forecast a schedule and publish it two weeks in advance without having under, a confident understanding of what's happening within the weather, what's happening in other patterns and variables that ultimately impact the way that I can forecast successfully. And oh, by the way, COVID still oh, being yeah, around yeah. the thing. I mean, right? there's so, so many variables and, and, and the, um, I think the takeaways from our, from our talk today is technology is gonna play an ever increasing importance in survivability. How to adapt to changes, how to predict changes, how to remain compliant. If you don't have a, a good technology platform, the, it's just scary when you're in these different areas in the United States of how to, how to make sure that you remain legally compliant because the, the size lawsuit that is, and, and granted that's just they're, they're, what they're trying to get is $400 million, but that's, that's incredible. And that not only puts a Chipotle in, at risk, but any independent operator out there as, as well as it is at risk also. So it's incredible to the risks that are there from a legal standpoint and from just a a success standpoint. You have to have the technology in place to retain, to attract employees, retain employees, provide the the best customer experience because not only do your employees expect it, your customer expects it as well. And you can't do that off of old technology or no technology. Exactly right. And, uh, and we're on a mission to help enable restaurants as best as we possibly can to drive an, an amazing employee experience while also meeting the operational realities of every local jurisdiction that we possibly can in the context of mo primarily the post-hire experience, right? Everything we can do with scheduling and beyond. So the, so the other thing is to plan for these changes, right? Don't just, yeah. don't, don't wait on the changes. Don't just think you're going to increase prices and that's going to take care of it. Yeah. We, yeah. Unfortunately, those, those days are, are done. Um, and it, it's time to rethink the way that you're approaching employee interaction and experience and the technology that's enabling it. And I, I know I keep belaboring the point, but just think about how, what everything that you've gone through as an operator around the guest experience for the last 13 months and apply that same methodology to how you're going to think about the employee experience and the rest should take care of itself. That's a good point to end on. Dan, thank you so much. This has been such a good session that we've had. I, I really appreciate your participation, how you've helped the Florida Restaurant Lodging Association, how you've brought meaningful information to all the restaurant owners and operators across the United States and, and Florida. So Thank you, Dan. I look forward to talking to you in the future and you, you helping us out as we navigate these changes that we should be making. Thank you so much. I am your host, you Charles, it, Charles Musgrove. Thank you so much for joining us on Answers That Count. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace.